Real Cuff Radio is about to begin. Everybody loves a hero. I believe there's a hero in all of us. Welcome to Real Cuff Radio. You know, you hear about near-death experiences and all that, but we're not talking about that. We are talking about someone who actually died and got to see the inside of hell and was able to come back. And, you know, I've interviewed people like this before, but to me, I think it's very important for the church to see this because so many people in the church and out of the church will tell you that there is no hell. That was just a made-up thing. You know, you be the judge. You listen to his story. I've got Brian Melvin on the line, and Brian's also an author of a book called A Land Unknown, and he'll tell you more about that as we go. But Brian's going to share his uh, story. How are you doing, Brian? I'm doing fine here in sunny, smoky Colorado. Smoky Colorado. Well, we're glad to have you on tonight talking about people dying and going to hell. To me, it is one of the most important things because I just, I hear it all the time. And, you know, I work in, I work in hospitals all over the place. And, and so many people say, oh, there's, there's no hell. You know, why would a God do that? I mean, even these are even Christians saying it. So I'm going to just turn it over to you and let you tell your story. Okay, thanks a lot, Todd. It's great to be here on Real Courage Radio, and my name is Brian Melvin, or I call myself B.W. Melvin, so I'm going to jump right in and tell you about this little experience and how it all happened. Well, sometimes it takes something very traumatic to get your attention, just like you were saying, Todd, you know, these people that are, you know, some Christians don't, don't believe in hell anymore, but sometimes God will do something traumatic just to arrest your attention, and that's what he did to me. For me, it was like any other day. I was working as an electrician in Tucson, Arizona, and there at a construction site, I accidentally drank some bad water, and I got sick super-duper fast, man. I started losing body fluids out both ends. And, you know, before I got really sick and I started feeling it coming on, I tried the John Wayne cure. I went to Dr. Jose Cuervo. He was no good. I went to Jack Daniels. He was even lousier. I even tried wild turkey, and that didn't do a bit of good. I tried all, you know, I went to old granddad too, Kentucky bourbon. It didn't, it didn't cure anything. I just got really worse. I didn't know it at the time, but the water I drank out of a contaminated cooler out, out of a truck at a construction site because it was super hot was from water from Mexico that the guy used to transport back to fill up his radiator because his radiator was overheating. So I lived in Tucson. He came back from the Gallus. But I accidentally drank this. I became very sick, and I did not realize until after I got diagnosed I had cholera. Cholera is a nasty stuff, let me tell you. Especially, <laughs> it's not pretty common around here, folks, in the United States. Just thank God for that. But by the third day of it, you know, I was violently ill. I was sick. I found myself all alone. I, was there. I lived in a duplex with a couple other guys. They took off to do some events, which I write, write about in my book, A Land Unknown, Hell's Dominion, and up in the Grand Canyon area. So I found myself all alone, and suddenly I started feeling really good. Then I got up to get a drink of water, and then it hit me again, and I crawled back into the bathroom and had another event, and then I could hardly move. I managed to somehow get into my bed. It took forever, climbed up on it, it was just Tucson. We had no air conditioning. We had a swamp core. It is around 98 degrees in the house, about 118 outside. Desert hot heat, for those of you who've never been to Arizona or felt the desert heat is like sticking your head in the oven. And so I'm sitting there lying on my bed uh, in excruciating pain, like razor blades flashing around, uh, uh, sweating, I had, I was so cold, I was chilled, and my body went into shock because this is what cholera does around the third day. I went back, I got it diagnosed, and I went back in the medical journals and found out my symptoms matched it perfectly. So here I was, 
violently ill and in excruciating pain. My dog came up to me. I tried to pet my dog. I couldn't. I was too weak. I couldn't. My hands wouldn't move. But it seemed like my hand went up outside of my flesh, and I went through my dog's chin, and as soon as that was, I floated above my body. I remember taking my last breath as I floated above, looking at my dog down there at my body. I was surprised because I was a militant atheist back then. Yeah, I grew up in a church home. I grew up in a Southern Baptist family, great parents. I had all the, you know, the great things in life like that, and I grew up in a really rough area, 10 miles south of D.C., at a very rough time in our nation's history. But, you know, it, it, was, it surprised me because being, an, you know, being a Christian, you know, I was never a Christian. Just because you grew up in a Christian home or you went to Christian church when you were a little kid doesn't make you a Christian any more than uh, standing in the garage will make you a car, folks. I tell you, here I was, I took my last breath, and I was a militant atheist because I just didn't want nothing to do with God. I had enough. I had no knowledge of near-death experiences. I never even heard of them. And I wouldn't believe anybody who had them at the time if, if that was popular. Because, brothers and sisters, this happened in 1980. You know, I thought, as an atheist, you simply cease to exist, and I lived my life accordingly. I, I just was total abandoned, grabbing all the gusto I, I, I could. I drank, I partied, I did crazy, stupid things when I was young. And I argued with Christians, too, being an atheist. I looked down at my room. I saw my alarm clock. It was 10 minutes till noon. And I never felt more alive than after I took my last breath. I could see across my room clearly because I'm very nearsighted. I wear glasses, but I could see without my glasses. And I could see my dog. I could hear the best I've ever heard in my life. I felt really good. And I was rocking back and forth. Then I turned and I went through the ceiling through the roof, I looked down, I could see a swamp cooler there that's on our roof, the access panel, which I didn't see until after the experience was held together with some bailing wire and a bandana because the screws got stripped out of it later. I had to go up and change the swamp cooler filter. Um, I found out what I saw was there, you know. This, this happened, folks. I know this will be hard for some people because, and I'm going to answer a lot of questions. Just, just, just hold on. So I went right through the ceiling and through the roof, saw the swamp cooler, folks, and boom, I found myself in a dark void floating toward a light. I didn't know. I had no idea. I never heard of anything like this before in my life. I felt a profound love and a sense of peace I had never felt before. And while floating there, all the wines of life we have, ever have, are answered like, now, why did God allow evil? What is this? What is that? Now, why did all the bad stuff happen to me? What's going on? And then at the same time, I can't really explain it other than some people say it's a life review to me. It was like images of my past. And it was showing me something as I was floating in this dark void. And I was hearing this great heavenly choir I caught, beautiful music. I'm a musician. I play guitar for years. I play rhythm and I play leads too. And here I am floating, hearing this beautiful, beautiful music, beautiful sound, and beautiful singing. And I could actually, even though it was a different language, I could understand it. And they were proclaiming the mysteries of God's character in a very profound, living way. They said things for illustration purposes, that God is a God of the living, that God lives true to his character. God will not deny himself. God will keep his word. God will never take back any gift. He'll never take back any calling or promise because of who he is as to his nature, God. If God denied himself in any one of these areas, if he denied his justice, his holiness, he would not be God. And so as I was floating through this void as part of God's gift of life, like it says in, um, I'm going to read this verse to you, Second Samuel 14, 14, what a wise woman said to, said to David, King David, for we will surely die, this is for 2 Samuel 14, 14, for we will surely die and become like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away life, but he devises means so that the banished ones are not expelled from him. That is a profound truth in that. It lines up with Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 11 and verse 14. 
that God placed eternity in our hearts. That's what I learned. I learned that God gave a gift of life, even though we do die, just like that verse I just read said. He will not take away life. You will still exist after you die. You had a, I call it a spiritual body. You can't really describe it. You look like, look like you, but your skin is a different color. And you're floating in this void and uh, floating and floating and floating in here. And I realized with such knowledge about God's character being revealed, I learned real quick, was downloaded into me, how somebody, a rebellious angel, thought he could overthrow God by pitting God's character traits against each other to prove to God that God cannot live up to his own life-giving, holy, just character. The devil got away with rebellion because he knows that God will not take away life for God to take away life into a state of non-existence, folks. is contrary to what Jesus said. God's the God of the living, not the God of the dead. That's who God is. That's who the Lord God Almighty is. I thank God to the day he doesn't renege on no promises. And the closer I got to the light, the flashbacks of my life began to appear. I saw how teachers, schools, movies, the media, just in the world just bullied me. The world bullied me to reject God. And I fell for it hook, line, and sinker. I saw how I became a militant atheist with an attitude. I sought to destroy Christian faith. How? By proving to, to Christians themselves that they can't live up to their own standards. I was coming to a reckoning, folks. Can you see it? All the while, I was totally oblivious that I was heading toward that very reckoning, getting closer and closer to a brilliant, bright light coming from a rock off in the distance, and I was traversing, getting closer and closer and closer to it. And this beautiful light I saw was coming from someone standing upon a big rock that looked like it was suspended in this black void. And I found out later in Psalms 104, it says who this was. It says, bless the Lord who covers himself with light as a garment. And I landed before the Lord, and I fell like a dead sack of wheat before him on the ground. And it felt like somebody picked me up with crazy glue on their hand and set my feet right in front of them. And there I could see the Lord. He had a hood over his face. And I could see his hands. I could see his beard. It looked like somebody pulled it out. I saw the Lord Jesus with his face veiled in a hood. I saw the nail marks in his wrist. I could see, see the, the blood stains. I could see, and he was looking at me with the hood drooped over his face. And the Bible is true. It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this comes judgment, brothers and sisters. That's Hebrews 9.27. When you come and stand before the Lord, the effect that standing before the Lord God has upon you is you're going to fall like a dead sack of wheat, just like the Bible says. I know people who claim to have heaven experiences and walk into heaven any time of day they want. I will challenge you, if you ever really met the Lord God, that is not true. <laughs> you have a more profound respect for the word of God and who God is than just to make God a cartoon character that you can be jolly with. I was facing a judgment because I actually died. And then I, a judgment that I could not weasel out of. I could not say that a dumb, crazy sign fell on me and hit me on the head. That's why, Lord, I'm so crazy. That's why I did all the bad things. That's why I got in fights and drunk and all that stuff. I, you know, I basically wasted my life. I faced a reckoning. I saw how good God is how the Lord is compared to how I treated others. I saw how I, for example, how I betrayed people, how I abandoned, rejected, and schemed, and I used people, how I put heavy burdens on people. I saw all the contempt I ever shown. I saw all my excuses that I made to avoid every consequence that I, 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 I did. I saw every relationship I crucified, including my own with my own parents. I saw how I snuck into how I got beat up in school. It drove me during, to steal drugs out of medicine cabinets and sell them in a church youth group roller skating party. It became the biggest dope dealer in school overnight. I didn't know anything about selling drugs. But I had to put up the image 
and began stealing drugs out of relatives' medicine cabinets. I'm guilty as charged. I saw I was crucifying relationships. I saw every wound I inflicted, how I stole money out of my own parents to feed my drug habit, my own parents' wallets. And my parents are good parents, good, very good, loving parents. Boy, I treated them with utter contempt. Oh, Lord, have mercy. I'm glad we got that reconciled. Amen. I saw how I justified myself, how I argued and condemned mock people, while I put on great acts of goodness, and I believed every one of my own deceptions. Then I saw how good God was to me despite myself, how he spared my life many times by a hedge of grace. For example, I was driving down the road, drunk, with all my friends in my dad's station wagon in high school, driving down a road in Virginia called Gallows Road at the time. Went over a hill and I did a jump like a Dukes of Hazard, heading toward a 300-year-old oak tree. Somehow the car literally moved. I barely missed the tree. I kept it on the road. It wasn't me because I saw how the Lord spared me by sending a force, an angel, that's all I got to say, and kept that car on the road. I saw the whole event, and I know, and I saw when I got down the bottom of the hill, everybody laughing and saying, you're a great driver. Yeah, yeah, let's do it again. You know, glad nobody could, it was dark. Nobody could see my pants. But I'm just telling you, folks, God spared my life many times and spared me from many accidents. How about you? God's love began to judge me because that's what I felt. I felt great compassion and love, but I felt God's love actually judging me. And so I'm like, well, people do. Well, God's love will never judge anybody. God is not love means he's a tolerant. He'll just accept and love everybody. You really don't understand love. You need to get rid of a new age concept of love and actually understand what God's love. It's far deeper and the depths are far deeper than what, you, what I just described. See, God's love judged me, and it's going to judge you in the same judgment. And this judgment is far worse than anything I could ever, like the Bible says, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Why? Because you're going to see how you manipulated God's love, his goodness, and mercy to your own ends, to get your own gifts, and to get yourself out of trouble. I saw how I did that. I saw how I wasted God's gift of life, all revealed by how, how I treated my friends and families and strangers, how I rejected the natural knowledge of God that was shown to me in the universe and became an atheist. You know, looking up at the sky and seeing all the stars and, and all that stuff, oh, that was an accident. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. I rejected all the natural knowledge of God. And it dawned on me, right there, standing before God, when he was revealing, his love was judging me by how I treated friends, families, and strangers, by how I abandoned, rejected, and schemed, and used people, and hurt people, beat up people, folks. It suddenly dawned on me because I knew too much about God's good character in the afterlife. That was true, that I will not die. My spirit man continues. I would continue to exploit God's love his mercy, his justice for my own amusement and gain in heaven. Folks, I would be in the, in the pearly gates stealing the pearls out of the pearly gate. I would be chiseling, making potholes in the street of gold. My corruptness would, would, is still there. because Why? Because it made it clear to me. Eternity seals the deal, folks. And God will not be mocked. Whatever you sow, you will reap, because God was tired of people mocking his love, mocking his mercy, thinking that they'll avoid all consequences because he is so loving. The reality of this Bible verse that I found a couple of years later struck me like a ton of bricks. I'm going to read it. It's Isaiah 26, verse 10. It explains what I just said. Isaiah 26, 10. And I'm going to paraphrase from the, from the Hebrew here so you and add the Hebrew meanings of the word. It's from the New King James, and I modified it. It says, let grace be shown to the transgressor, yet he will not learn righteousness because in the land of uprightness, heaven, he will deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. Quote, people don't behold the majesty of the Lord in this life. You expect them to automatically walk into heaven and, 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 and honor it there. 
How will you stand before the Lord? I found myself before the Lord standing in front of the Lord in filthy rags like a judo suit. I was fully guilty. I had no excuses. I was totally laid bare. And and it was the most gut-wrenching thing to realize who and what you're really like. The real you that nobody ever sees. When you're driving down the road saying, I want that person in front of me, toast! Because they cut me off. Then you're all nice when you get home and play with the kids. The real you, the real violent you, the real mean you, that nobody sees. Nobody sees. Then the Lord spoke to me, telling me I would see a land unknown. He actually said this, and I wrote this down right after all this happened in just a bunch of notes. And he spoke to me, telling me, I would see a land unknown that's best forgotten, but not to be left unseen. And when I arrived to say his name and title, which was Jesus Christ. At that moment, I was lifted up into a terrifying spinning vortex, heading toward a yellowish light. It was inside. I'm going to tell you what it's like. It was like being inside of a tornado. And I tell you, I wrote in my book, A Land Unknown, Hell of Dominion. It was like inside of a tornado. It smelled horrible. It was hot, like an oven hot coming hitting you in the face. The sounds of hideous laughter, slurping noises, and, and demonic laughing. And it was hotter than hot. And suddenly, it was like I was going super duper fast, man. And all of a sudden, I saw a yellowish light at the end of the tunnel. And then all of a sudden, I landed with a thud in a land unknown. And I knew I wasn't deserving a nice place. I had enough uh, of growing up in a Christian home to know that there was a place called hell, but I just didn't believe in it. I thought it would be devils and pitchforks and all this stuff and flames of fire and all that stuff. This was not what I expected at all. I saw a house on a hill. And all these people came forth to welcome and say, hey, Brian, welcome to paradise. However, these people were not really people. They began to morph into what they really were as they surrounded me. And they were trying to be my best friend and saying, hey, welcome to paradise. And this one guy came up to me who left a party at a house. My parents left for um to go on a long vacation, open my house up to a big party. So I just, this guy came over. He left, and about half a mile away, he was gunned down, a drive-by shooting. He got his middle section blown out with a double-barrel shotgun. The other guy that was with him managed to escape and tell the tale. And I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, I think I was there. And I said, you can't be in paradise. You're telling me this is paradise? You, you, you're the worst of the worst. You're worse than me. <laughs> you can't. And then he morphed into something else and another creature and then and another. They begin to morph into creatures. And they all rushed me. And these beings were deformed beings. Some were reptilian-like. Some were like uh, humanoid with, um, I don't know how to describe it, uh, gargoyles without wings and some with wings. Uh, they're hideous creatures. Uh, most of them look like ancient pagan Mesopotamian deities or Canaanite deities. Years later, after researching and going through this and looking up these ancient pagan deities and stuff through my research, I'm going, those look very similar to what I saw in hell, what these people morphed into. Not interesting. I was surrounded by demons who looked like gargoyles and just like the Bible says, they sacrificed unto devils, to gods whom they knew not, to new gods that newly came up. Deuteronomy 32, verse 17 says, that's what I saw. They all rushed me, wanting to tear me to threads. Then I remembered what Jesus told me, to say his name and his title. So I said, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. Faster than that. Every time I said the name, they could not grab hold of me. They could poke me, they could touch me. Uh, and or the touch is ice cold, like death, and they could you know, poke me, prod me, and they couldn't grab hold. Every time I said the name of Jesus, they could they backed off a little. There's power in the name. Now I learned my first lesson. There's power in the name of Jesus. Then a hideous creature appeared in front of me, telling me to follow it. We walked toward the horizon, and we stopped there. 
And I'm going, what in the world? We couldn't go any further. It's like we came to a wall. It looked like the horizon. But he stuck his hand in it, ripped it open like a veil. And on the other side of that veil was a wide, broad road of destruction. Like Jesus says, broad is the way of destruction and many will find it. We stepped up out of the tear in the wall and we stood on the road and looked down and back. I noticed I emerged out of a small cube, a cell. I call it a cube in the book. It's a cell. I said in my book, I said about 10 by 10 feet square. It could have been a little bigger. It could have been 14 by 14 like Bill Weiss mentions. But the dimensions of hell and the heat and the stuff that you're seeing, it's hard. It was hard for me to get the right dimensions of these cubes. And so I looked inside that cube and looked like the great outdoors. But in outside, it was so small. And there were cells on either side, and the cells were stacked six high, going up to the roof above. And I followed the roof above and looked across the road quickly to what looked like a wide, dusty road. In the middle was an open area. It was like a donut hole. And I noticed that it looked like a spiral staircase. So I found myself in hell, in the pit of hell, which the Bible indeed talks about being round about. I will give you the scripture in a minute. It looked like a spiral staircase. And um, imagine the bricks being the cells, 10 by 10 foot square bricks against each other, going round about, stacked six high. Six is the number of men. And in the long, dusty road, you go to an open area, which we did, and I looked down and I looked up, and it was a bottomless pit. Far down, you, you couldn't see the bottom, and you couldn't look up. You couldn't see. You couldn't see up. This was the weirdest thing I ever did see, because I had all these demons around me. I wanted to wake up so bad. It was excruciatingly hot there. It's almost like your eyebrows will melt, and your will burn off your face. You feel like your eyes will melt out of the socket. Your your, your tongue is so parched because of the heat. And all I could say was, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. And I was surrounded by these demons. And we walked from the cubes to the edge of the road where I looked up and down and saw the pit. And, um, and it came to me as I was looking there, and I caught see these tornado vortexes dropping people into the cells. I could see demons walking on the road, escorting people into cubes. And for some reason, the people didn't seem like they knew where they were going. It seemed like they were seeing something else other than where they were. And being deposited into their own private cell with their little gaggle of demons and devils to keep them company for eternity. Everybody alone vanished away from God forever inside these little cubes. So years later, I found Ezekiel chapter 32, verses 19 to 31, but I'm going to read verse 23. It says, and again, I'm going to add the Hebrew, whose graves, means chambers or cells or cubes, are set in the sides of the pit, and her company is circled round about her in these chambers and cells. That's the Hebrew words are, are emphasized here. Whose graves are set in the sides of the pit, and her company is round about her. That whole chapter talks about layers of recompense, just recompense, where one layer is less, another layer down below is more. One level is less torment, up above, more torment. It was just. <coughs> I also found out when I read in the Bible years later how Jesus said that this city and that city's judgment will be far worse then Sodom and Gomorrah's war. As Ruth Graham Lutz would say, hell has levels of torment. About every scholar talks about that. I do verify there are levels of degrees of punishment in hell. In the guide, we walked back to, this, um, to the cubes, and I knew I came to me, this, this hideous-looking thing was like a, so happy, he was like a tour guide of hell, you know? And we began to look inside these cubes. And I can't, I don't know why any of this happened. And I really don't deserve even to be coming back. You don't understand that, folks. 
I don't deserve to be here. <laughs> For years and years and years, I struggled with why are you ever allowed me to come back? Because I know I deserve this place. Because I know I saw my real self. But I was somehow granted instant discernment, like a download, and I was given the histories of people in these cells in a flash. I saw people like a woman who was walking in Paris, whose mother emotionally abandoned her, and this woman chose the way of her mother, which was prostitution, and she always pushed people away, she was never close. She walked by in the cell, it was like she was inside of Paris in the early 1900s, walking along, totally with a thousand-yard stare. That's all I can say. And it was like the floor of the cell would move, but she was living what she knew her life was like in, inside that cube. And that's what every person was. They lived in their own nightmares, never able to wake up, Anytime they would wake up, it would, the scenes would change. It would be a new nightmare. I'll explain that in a minute. In another cube, I saw a wealthy man bored out of his mind. I wrote about him in the book. How he stepped on people, betrayed, he plotted and schemed, and he hurt people. Yet he gave alms to the poor. People would think he was the greatest thing since the napkin. But no one ever saw the real him. He passed person after person inside all these cells. And each person relived the abuse they inflicted, every slanderous lie told. They relived the very rejection they dished out, every hurt they inflicted, every unkind word spoken, and every get-even scheme as both the victim and as the perpetrators whose prey turned on the predator. I saw a woman in in this cell who loved the toy people's lies like a cat toying with an injured mouse for the mere pleasure of it. You know, I never thought people like this could exist, but they do. For the wounds they received in life, because one family member hurts another family member, rejects another, we pass it on. And people love this more than getting rid of it because it gives them their sense of purpose to keep abusing. Wow. All because her wounded soul, she refused ever to get healed. There she was reliving every torment she inflicted as the victim. What she feared the most happened to her, complete loss of control. That's because of what happened to her. She rejected the call of salvation through Jesus Christ and chose her own path that she was not going to lose control all because of the trauma in her life. During all this, Brian, what about you? Were you, like, terrified? I was absolutely terrified. you got to understand, I was saying, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. You know, um, you're in a spiritual body, so you have no body fluids. But if I had body fluids, I would have lost it. <laughs> I mean, I, wow. this, was, this was utterly frightening because the atmosphere there was total abandonment, banishment away from God. Here I was facing the Lord of so I felt love and compassion and mercy and I how and he showed me how I abused it and all these people in hell did went through the same judgment. They abused God's love and, and then they're in this place. And one minute you realize what you just left and you're banished away from it. No hope without God in the world. You are totally banished and turned over to your real self. That's what I was seeing in these people. And these people were like, uh, every, what was happening was the real them was being exposed. I think it's, uh, I'm trying to do this by memory, Job 26, verse 5 or something. It says, um, the dead tremble under the waters. And I mean, a water of great pressure because there's a lot of pressure. If you ever go down like the, like uh, underwater, like scuba diving, you feel the water pressure. There's great pressure down there. And they tremble, wail and travail and stuff. What's happening is that, um, it says, Abaddon, or hell has no covering. In other words, hell uncovers the real sin nature a person has. I mean, you can, I saw people in cells, you know, would, who would sit there, and the demons would be in there tormenting them and saying, here's the way out, you know, or do you want this? And the person would choose what would got them in there in the first place every time. It was, it was indescribable fear 
uh, and the total banishment away from all goodness is what you felt there. It pressed on you like a heavy weight. That's what it was like. Yeah, and that's what I did. I walked past cell after cell looking into a kaleidoscope of people. I saw people in, inside their little cell or the cube was like holes in the ground, others in flames. I saw an abuser man at a table. He abused his family. He was just tapping his fingers and he was hearing what he thought was the son. Give me another beer. I'll beat the blank, blank, blank out of you. You know, and that was just tapping and he was going crazy and just muttering to himself. And I moved on and this tornado vortex came in front of us and we walked in fr- down to the cube and saw this vortex drop a woman into a cell. I wrote about this in my book called Gear Pudding. Oh, Lord, have me put this in there. And I saw so many people in this condition. And um, this woman was dropped, and she suddenly thought that she was at her grandparents' farm. And she knocked on the door. She didn't know where she was at first. It was kind of, you know, it's all overwhelming going through and standing before God and feeling great love and being judged by it. Your, your brain don't have time to catch up sometimes. So here she was, and she saw her grandmother, what looked like her grandmother, opened the door, and her Uncle Joe and all the other people around, dead relatives. She, they all welcomed her into paradise. But I could see with discernment standing outside her cell that these were not people. These were demonic beings giving the illusion of dead relatives, familiar spirits, if you will, and so very familiar with the ways of the family, too familiar. <laughs> but anyway, and so they were given welcoming, telling her she's in paradise. She had eternity here, and then her grandmother says, hey, let's go out back. I'll show you. You have paradise. You have all eternity here. This is a wonderful place. And she was saying, oh, grandmother, things like, there's so much love and compassion here. I, I tell you what, advances in medical science, if she was resurrected from the dead at this point, she'd be on Oprah Winfrey and every talk show saying, go to the light. It's all wonderful. Everybody makes it to paradise. But no, there's an awakening that happens to people in there because there's just degrees of punishment. So she had a little, it was, it was strange because she was thought she was in paradise, but she began to get troubling thoughts. She wasn't allowed, she, she wasn't allowed to come back. She wasn't resuscitated. She stayed there. And so when they walked outside, I saw the scenes change. I saw how she saw her own mind decorated the inside of her cell, much like I in the 1990s, the Star Trek Next Generation came out with a holodeck, kind of working like that. I don't know how else to describe it inside of what a cell was like. Inside, it was like all big outdoors, but inside, it's real small. And the floor looked like it, looked like it moved or something. And so as she walked, she thought she was outside. Her grandmother told her she was going to bake some great, wonderful cookies for her, like she always did. And she said, go rest underneath a tree by the stream over there, your favorite spot. So she walks over there and she was getting, I could tell that she was, I knew because I'd been on download, that she was getting uneasy because thoughts began to hit a sailor like how she treated her kids, beat her kids with a hairbrush saying, you're going to be a doctor. You're not going to be a drug driver. You're going to be a doctor if I had to beat it into you. And little blue Susie Q, you're going to be in the medical profession too. And you're not going to do anything, blah, 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 blah. And... On the outside, everybody thought that she was wonderful. Great PTA member. Made the best cookies. Did all the great things. Everybody thought she was great, but inside, she was not so nice. So anyway, she was not even nice to her husband. Her husband wasn't nice to her. It was just one big codependent mess. So here she is walking there because, you know, she's thinking, well, one minute, I'm driving my car. I am died. I'm here. This doesn't seem right. So she sat down on the rock in her favorite spot she, by a stream. She reached in the stream, but there's no water. There's no water. There's no water in hell. None. She, it was a mirage. She picked up sand. At that moment, she picked up the sand and realized there was no water. She wasn't sitting on a rock. It was actually a demon. And the two trees that shaded her were not trees. 
they they turned into what they were and like multi tentacle type demonic creatures and and she let out a horrifying scream when she realized she ain't gonna wake up. And she's gonna reap what she's sown. She's going to torture she was you know, how she tortures her kids, how she beat them, how she treated them, how she'd lock them in the room was all going to be started right there on her. And everything she ever did to anybody, however she thought, right then, is going to be reenacted upon her for eternity. She knew it. She wasn't allowed to come back and, and at a good point during her experience and say everything is wonderful. How many of you heard of that? That's why the Lord allowed me, I guess, to come back just to tell you that. See, I passed and walked more and more people. We walked by all these people in these cubes because after I heard her scream, we walked on. I got to tell you, people were not tormented or tortured by God. They were not. God was not torturing anybody. Why? Because they were tormented by familiar spirits that were housed with them. They were tormented by their own sin nature. And the people became worse and worse and not better because the real them was thoroughly exposed in hell. What's really inside your heart is exposed. That's the nature of hell. It uncovers the real you, prepares you for what is known as the white throne judgment. The nature of hell uncovers what you hide, how you always choose sin, and what you love the most more than God. Always in choosing impure acts while living, jealousy, acts of revenge. Always feasting on your bitterness. Always want to get evened. I saw an old-time, lecherous, unsaved preacher man who was never saved, but he loved to mock Christianity. He was in the Cane Patch Revival, something like that in Kentucky, way, way, in the, way back in the days. He became an act like a preacher. He'd have his way with the ladies. And there he was in this circuit trying to preach at a tent revival and they all you know, people got up and beat him with big black books and they chased him around and he was beating beating and then whoa and I saw another uh, witch that was in a coffin scratching to get out because she cursed to death people's hopes dreams and goodness with a reckless hate that I can't explain I could never explain this hate but now brothers and sisters I'm seeing it this reckless hate in the world today Unleashed. If you wear a Trump hat or you do something or you say you're a conservative Christian, you can face someone beating the tar out of you. A, a congressman in, in California was almost stabbed to death by such a reckless hate as this. This person was a witch who was involved in the occult for some reckless hate, wanted to trip up every Christian, anybody who had any goodness just to destroy him for the mere pleasure. So this witch was in a coffin, scratching to get out. For all I know, she's still in there. I saw a man who loved to scam churches. He looked like he was trapped in a swamp. Remember, there is no water, but it looked like a swamp. And big snakes were choking him, like pythons choking him, because he loved to scam people. Because he took away and choked away the money that could have been used for the real needy. He's the type of person to take his family on vacations and go make some money by going to churches and give them a sob story so they can get a nice big hotel room paid for. That's the type of person this was. Well, I tell you what, folks, I saw so many people there, and the real them was uncovered. But at the time, we kept walking cube after cube. We walked between the cubes. We came through rooms with all these demonic creatures in them, and... And it was like every time the creatures were trying to get me to curse God, curse myself, or curse them. All I could say was Jesus, 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 Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. That's all I could say. To my wits end, so to speak. I felt like this was it. I felt like, my, where am I going? So I came to a place where I saw one of these cells, one of these cubes that was open. Inside of it was a pale green dentist-like chair. And all these demonic beings gathered around it, folks, making and wanting me to come in there. You got to understand this creature was offering, offering me half the kingdom 
all the whole time. Wouldn't it mean a curse? Yeah, curse God, curse the devil, curse everything, and offered me half the kingdom if I did so. His lie was that the half of the kingdom of hell would be there to torment me. So here I was approaching my cube. It's hard to explain. Your cubes move. As you're on a topper level, over time, your cube will spin down slowly like a conveyor belt to lower and lower depths as the real you is justly exposed. So here I saw myself, my cube, all the demons in there waiting for me and welcoming me to have a seat in the dentist chair. I have no problem with dentists. I'm the type of person, if I have a cavity that is shallow, don't give me Novocaine, just fill it. And I'll go to sleep in the chair. People don't even understand. I don't even care about going to a dentist. It doesn't bother me. I don't know what the significance of a green dentist chair was at the time. I'd be down. I won't get into that. I don't have time. But these things were leering at me. Because the dentist chair, I'll tell you briefly, represents in your most vulnerable state. Where people work on you, get the picture. These things want to work on me. <laughs> and here I was, I was weakening. I could barely say Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ anymore. And I stood, it was like a miry clay, but it was also like dusty soil, but like flesh. These white moths would flutter out of it with teeth. And these little wormy things with teeth in there screaming blasphemy, yelling at you. And my feet were dragging. I was like being pulled through this mire right to that open pit. Right to that open, not a pit, but excuse me, that open cell. And a despair like I've never known over as I was being dragged toward that cube. You know, nobody would really know where I was. I could just imagine my funeral and a preacher saying, oh, Brian, he was a good old boy. I'm sure he made it. You know, he saved the whales, he saved the trees, he hugged a few trees, too. He's a good old boy. He followed Yule Gibbons and ate vanilla. Yes, he was a good old boy. Yeah, he saved animals. He did all these nice things. Yeah, he was a good old boy. And I, I, I would be powerless to, to, to say, hey, mom, dad, hey, preacher up there. I'm not in a good place. <laughs> Nobody would hear me. And it makes this sense of despair and being banished away from all love, hope, everything I've ever known. And at the same time, knowing I deserve this because I am not a good person. I am a wretch. I see myself. God exposed what I was really like by how I treated, how he gave me grace and love on this planet with good parents and good things how I ruined the gift of life for my own pleasure. I saw my real self. I knew I deserved this place. I had no hope. Some people think they are without hope and end up committing suicide. I want to tell you that you still have hope. It will get better. Don't commit suicide because you go into a hopeless place like I was, you understand there is no hope in that place. And you ain't escaping into a land of la-la land either. Don't do it. Amidst this, I, found, I felt this powerful presence approaching behind me. I did not know who it was. I didn't know it was Satan with a pitchfork to throw me in there. And I was being dragged into this cube by this unknown force. And these demons suddenly got excited and started running out of the cube. And there was one that started digging at the edge of the cube in the ground with his rear end sticking up. Kind of, I won't say the deity's name, uh, Mesopotamian <laughs> deity, but <laughs> with his rear end sticking up. For me, just looking back, that's just a little bit of humor because I can still see it. But um, that's hindsight. But then I was scared beyond belief because I didn't know who was approaching me Whoever it was, was great power, and none of these other creatures wanted to be around it. All of a sudden, right up when I felt it was the end. This was it. I, this, whoever was behind me now, who walked and shook the earth, the hell shook when he walked, and every step, 
was going to just pick me up and throw me in this place because I deserve it. And then he picked me up. And it was Jesus. And this is really hard. Even how can I How can I convey this? It didn't make any sense to anybody. I was picked up in the strong arms of Jesus. And his wrist had the holes in it and his bones pulled apart. It says in Psalms 22 that Jesus, who hung on the cross, died in our place. Folks, listen. His bones were pulled out of a joint for you. With that revelation, I just turned and I wept in his shoulder. I did not deserve to be rescued. That's exactly what he did. He carried me out of there. He set my feet back upon that rock. And he spoke to me a little bit. But as he carried me, I did not deserve rescue. None of us deserve to be rescued because of what we have become on the inside. And Jesus paid a terrible price. He was betrayed. He was plotted against. He was put on trial. His best friends abandoned him. He was spat upon, beaten. He was placed a heavy wooden beam, a burden he could not bear and had someone else carry it for him. He went to a place and crucified. And I want to tell you, who have you betrayed? He, who have you mocked? Who have you hurt? Who have you put in trial in your mind to crucify? What burdens have you put on people? And you think you are so good? And Jesus Christ came and died a terrible death to wake us up to what we are really like? That's the power of the cross. And yet I don't hear it preached too much. And on top of that, he hung suspended between God and man and bore the wrath of God in our place for putting him on the cross. And for everybody, we put on the cross. That's a love that's too profound for my pea brain to comprehend. I don't deserve it. I never deserve to come back. I deserve wrath, not mercy. And that's what was revealed to me as I stood before him. And it blew on me, and I came back. Uh, my neighbor somehow found me and rushed me to the hospital where a doctor from India resuscitated me and got me back on track. They couldn't draw blood because my blood was viscous. I was yelling crazy things like, I, am I, I don't want to be here. Is this a cube? And a doctor from India would say, no, Mr. Melvin, this is a hospital in Tucson, Arizona. Do you know what day it is? Yes. Do you know what time it is? I don't know. Do you know who's the president? Yes. You know, so they, you know, passed that. And then, you know, and <laughs> the nurse had to sit there and had to squeeze. They didn't have one of these pumps back, and they squeezed the IV solution into me. I don't know how long it took me to recover. But eventually, I got recovered. They gave me medicine. They gave me paragoric, these little test tubes you got to keep cold, and little blue-purple junk, just raw opium to plug you up so you don't... That was the cure back then. I don't know what they have now. Just to plug you up, got everything taken care of. I was released. I got back to the duplex apartment. My buddies, they all took off for work. They all couldn't believe I was still alive. <laughs> I was in bad shape. I sat in a beanbag chair. I couldn't go to work. I was too weak. I sat in a beanbag chair and and then about 98 degrees inside the house because that's how cool the swamp cooler would keep it. In Arizona, you're used to 98 degrees. That's cool. And so I sat there and I said, Lord Jesus, I never want to go back to that awful place. Take me. I'm yours. That's my salvation prayer. And I felt a cool breeze all around me and enter me. I may sound strange to folks, but that's what happened. That's how I got born again. That's how I got saved. Because it made plain to me there is no afterlife salvation because eternity seals the deal. Out of God's great mercy that I don't understand and his compassion that I can't fathom, anybody says they can don't know what they're talking about, allowed me to come back in this mortal plane as a human being is the only place where we have a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chance. 
to come back to a God who loved us enough to wake us up to what we are really like so we can change and help others change and live better than they have before. Because that's you what know, the Brian, Christian walk is. Amen. Hey, Brian. Yeah. I, uh, just a little while before I even got on here with you, I had that same talk with somebody, and I said, you know, the Word of God, all it says is if they will call upon his name, they will be saved. How about you? How about you uh, lead these people in, in a prayer of salvation right now, and then we'll go on from there. Okay. I just have to ask you, what will it be, heaven or hell? You know, people send, you know, people send themselves to hell. And um, it's easy to go there because you, people just send themselves. God doesn't. You do by your own choices. And God in his great mercy said there's a way of escape. And don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever you sow, you will also reap. But, and how you get saved, like Brother Todd's saying here, it's just a simple prayer. Maybe that's you. And you want to change. And you know, you're, you're a mess. You actually know you're a mess. Maybe you feel it. Maybe you're convicted right now. And, you know, you see how you betrayed, abandoned, how you've been hurt, and how you carry the wounds on and you wound other people with, and how you've been messed with, too, and how that hurt you, how that affected your life. All you have to do is say, pray after me. This is how you do it. Very simple prayer. Call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. This is how you do it. Just pray. Have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Forgive me, Jesus. And make me born of your spirit. Make me yours. I'm yours. Never let me go. Lord Jesus, I'm yours. Take me. Shake me. Mold me. Lead me. I'm yours. In Jesus' name. That's how easy it is just to get saved and get right with God because the Lord will now take you on your own journey and begin a process of sanctification and getting rid of the heart wounds and the pain and the anguish in your heart. It takes time, but he will set you free. There you go. Okay, I was going to say, I appreciate you coming on, but I want you to tell them, first of all, about your book, which tells your whole testimony and goes into a lot more detail and how they can get that. And then then tell us about your website, and uh, then you can kind of give a little sneak peek of of what you're doing now, and we'll go over that on another show because I'm sure – I'm sure right now their minds are going, okay, wow, <laughs> you know. Yep. <laughs> okay. My name is, uh, my writing name is B.W. Melvin. I wrote a book called A Land Unknown, Hell's Dominion. And please bear with me. I'm, you know, we are living in um, Colorado. We got smoke drifting in from California and fires. We got fires here all throughout Colorado. We got one just 15 miles north of town. And the smoke is kind of tearing me up because it just, it just is. You just can't get away from it. <laughs> but, um, but it's called A Land Unknown Hell's Dominion. That's A Land Unknown Hell's Dominion. You can get the book on the Internet, Amazon.com, Zulon Press, any of the Christian bookstore, online bookstores. You can order it, order off of Barnes & Noble, Apple. It's, um, it's also on Kindle and Apple Reader, as well as um, uh, what's Barnes & Noble, uh, Nook. All those, it's all available in that format as well. That's a land unknown, Hell's Dominion, ordered off Amazon.com or, uh, or anywhere. And it is available in Kindle, Nook, and Apple Readers. And um, you can get it there. Um, my website, I go have a website, and I'll tell you about it in a minute. It's called After Hours Ministries. It's all one word. It's A-F-T-E-R-S, A-F-T-E-R-H-O-U-R-S, Ministries, M-I-N, 
I-S-T-R-I-E-S dot com. There's a lot of after-hours ministries out there, but ministries, plural, after-hours ministries, all one word, afterhoursministries.com. You'll see a short video of me standing in this suit in a church I preached in uh, quite a few years ago, about 2008 or nine, somewhere around there. And uh, you see me, and you'll, you'll hear my testimonies, and you can explore my, my new, I'm working on my new website. I'm remodeling it, reshaping it, putting things in there. I have videos in there. I have um, teachings that I do as well on YouTube that are out. Um, you'll be surprised that I have a docudrama done on me by Genesis Productions, too. Um, back, I think 2008 was filmed, came out 2009 in Southern California, Arizona on um, Comcast at that time. Uh, Stories of the Supernatural. And that documentary is now on YouTube. It's up to 2 million views. <laughs> so, you know, you'll find things like that. Just look up B.W. Melvin, a land unknown, Hell's Dominion online on a Google search, and you'll pull up all kinds of things. Some of it's not too flattering, but, you know, I don't care about people who don't believe my testimony. I'm not trying to please people. I just want to tell people about Jesus, get them saved, sanctified, healed up, so they can begin their journey with Jesus. And, and, and we'll uh, have it attached. We'll have it attached at the end of your show and stuff, you know, but... Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I definitely wanted you to kind of share that because I know, I mean, I know a lot of people that have will go through and listen to this. They're going to want to be able to get the book and things like that, you know. Um, yeah, yeah and if, if they want to help or support the ministry that I do, and I'll tell you about it real briefly, is um, they go on my website. I have a you know PayPal button. That's the best way to do it. Everything's there on the up and up. It's all right there. It's straightforward. Um, and what I'm involved with right now is uh, First Nations people, Native American ministries up north in Cheyenne River and Standing Rock Reservation. I was in the Southwest. I began in the Southwest tribes of Apache, Navajo. I want to go back there. But helping the people, gathering donations for them, um, or even just to travel up there is expensive. So I'm planning a trip hopefully October sometime, maybe or maybe November. And it does cost money, but people want to help support that. They can give for that cause and that reason. Um, also help me to help pay bills, too, here, and keep the website going. And um, I'll be doing some other things. I'll be doing some live streams, YouTube, or I'm thinking of other venues right now because of the way the um, social media is going and how they're um, shutting down sites, Christian sites now. I might have to go another route, but until then, I'm going to try to get some stuff up, and that's all expensive. So if anybody wants to help with that, it'll be a blessing. All right. Well, I want to thank you for coming on, and I will have you on again because I know you've got some some other stuff. I've actually listened to another show you did, and, uh, you know, we'll bring that all in a different show, but I definitely wanted you to share your testimony because, you know, like I said at the beginning, there's a lot of people that, that, that tell me there, there's no hell. That's just a made up thing to get people to go to church. And yeah, it's real. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I, um, after seeing a place like that, I was pretty well messed up. I got back into church and everything, and I got moved to Colorado to come back to college. I tried to go there. That was my plan, but things changed a little bit. Finally went back to college later, but I I was a mess. I went to church, and I didn't know why I was back. And later the Lord had to show me and teach me something, and maybe another time I can have me back, I can share on that because he had to show me an open vision of heaven. Just simply to take care of the post-traumatic stress (laughs) Now, sometimes I still suffer from with loud noises, sudden movements, certain smells. You know, you know, I, I get kind of freaked out, and I will actually, you know, it's like a flashback. Literally, you know, you kind of shake. You can't. You know, my wife would testify that. Um, you know, you, you know, there's still some things there, but I was worse back then. I could hardly be around people, but the Lord always kept me in ministry work. 
helping ministries found and start and and all that. But um, yeah, I'd like to share on that because I saw heaven a little bit and I don't talk too much about that because most of it was personal for me, but what I was allowed to share, some people might, might find interesting or I could find boring. But maybe that or I can talk about what I'm talking about is the thing of spiritual warfare, which I've been teaching on quite often because we live in a time and day and period of history in the United States and worldwide, Europe, all over and all over the place. Asia too, in a state of spiritual warfare. So Well that sounds good. I look forward to it. I'm gonna say for today that's a wrap.